Power grids have twice been disrupted by malware, and both times the outages occurred in Ukraine. Hi, I'm Matthew Schwartz, Executive Editor with Information Security Media Group. To discuss these outages and what they portend, I'm joined by Robert M. Lee, the CEO and founder of the industrial cybersecurity company Dragos. Robert, thanks for joining me. Yeah, great to have you on. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Robert, you've been tracking malware involved in industrial control system or SCADA attacks, power grid disruptions in Ukraine. What is unique or worrying about this malware? Yeah, really good question. So when we look at the 2015 attack on Ukraine, besides the fact that it was the first ever on a power grid that actually disrupt operations, one of the things that was fairly unique about it is it wasn't really based around the malware itself. So Black Energy 3 is the malware that gave access to these industrial networks. But, but more importantly, it was the fact that the adversaries uh, learned the operations. They learned the industrial equipment. They learned the, the way to operate electric grid equipment. And so they really just acted as malicious insiders and took advantage of the functionality that was present. Um, for sort of fast forward to, to 2016, the thing that became even more concerning was that what they learned in 2015, they now codified into a, a digital framework and malware known as crash override or destroyer. And what's particularly concerning about that is not only sort of the escalatory nature of it, but the fact that it's now scalable with some level of automation. So you could instantly place crash override into any number of stations across Europe, parts, uh, parts of the Middle East, parts of Asia. You, you need to adapt it for North America. Um, but this is something meant to target multiple sites. What sort of work or how extensive would the work be, do you think, to retool this to different networks? I mean, because in the case of Stuxnet, for example, a lot of people thought that you would have had to have had a pretty good lab in which to test this all out. How tough would it be to repurpose what you've been seeing attack Ukraine for other places? It wouldn't actually be that difficult. And so one of the things that it tends to be an, an interesting uh, truth in industrial security is the more destructive you want the attack to be, the more tailored it has to be. You know, when, when Stuxnet impacted Natanz, it, it physically destroyed over 3,000 uranium enrichment centrifuges. When we see the 2016 attack on Ukraine, the crash override malware disrupted the electric grid, but not um, the entire thing, nor did it actually cause damage. So as you tend to be more destructive or disruptive in nature, it has to be more and more tailored. But they've hit this sweet spot where they can have a little bit of disruption, think a couple hours at each site they target. Um, there's some concerning scenarios of maybe how it could scale larger, but immediate impact, a couple hours. But that sweet spot allows them to scale it across infrastructure. So it wouldn't work in other industries. It's very specifically electric grid focused, but it would immediately work in like I said, all the different European, uh, most Middle East and most Asia grids um, without any additional tailoring. It, it doesn't rely on vulnerabilities. It doesn't rely on um, specific systems being in place. It's very much just operational knowledge of how to manipulate electric grids that's been codified into this. Now, the good news on all that is our grids are very well built and our operators are used to going back to manual operations and working without the computer equipment and getting the grid back up, whether it's from hurricanes, or in this case, cyber attacks. So I think the nuance here is it's concerning and it's alarming. It's, it's escalatory from what we've seen, and it deserves strong statements back, especially internationally. But it's not to the point yet where people should be freaking out or building bunkers or anything silly like that. Now, in 2015, you mentioned Black Energy 
3 malware. We also saw disk wiping malware, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yep. now, did we see that again in 2016 with the crash override and destroyer platform? Yeah, so it was a, so in 2015, we saw Black Energy 3 get into the business networks and give access to the adversaries, who then, in the course of doing their disruptive attack in the uh, distribution management systems, uh, loaded kill disk to wipe the systems. And what that basically did was uh, sort of amplify the attack. It didn't it didn't cause the power outage. The malware wasn't responsible in 2015, but it made it obviously much more uh, confusing and difficult to restore for the operators who wanted to depend on their computer systems. Um, in 2016, we didn't see kill disk again, but we did see a wiper as well. And I think this speaks really to where the industry has to be prepared to go. It's not so much about can I identify and stop a specific piece of malware? It's can I understand the, the malicious behaviors in my environment, like a file getting executed and then randomly deleting all my files? You know, that behavior is going to be bad 100% of the time. So can we start moving towards more of a behavioral approach to understand what's malicious in our environments? Because our adversaries are learning from each other, they're learning from themselves, and, and we'll continue to see uh, sort of these amplifications uh, inside of already existing attacks. Ukraine has been hit this year alone by what look to be four different malware or ransomware campaigns, including NotPetya. There was a WannaCry lookalike that again apparently targeted some power production facilities, amongst others. Have you seen any signs that these attacks are being launched by the same group? Or is that even a useful question to ask since you're going to have to be defending against any kind of malware anyone throws against you? Absolutely. So I, I think it's a very useful question to ask. I don't think attribution to the actual state or the actual human actors themselves tend to be very useful. For Ukraine, from a political perspective, it absolutely is. But for the network defenders, to your point, it, it's useless. Whether the malware is created by Russia or China or Iran or whoever, you got to defend against it all the same. Again, strategic level players very much care, but network defenders need to be focused on the defense tactics at hand. That being said, um, no, I do not feel that the, the groups that we're seeing are all the same. It looks like there's various different uh, human operator groups out there launching these different types of uh, intrusions and campaigns. But it is important to track them individually because defenders shouldn't be just focused on what the malware is. They should look at the, the larger intelligence picture. And I don't mean intelligence like indicator to compromise and things like that, but understanding adversary tradecraft, countering the fact that you've got a human-focused group. And, and this is one of the things we try to highlight with the um, 2016 events, where we noted that the adversaries that created Crash Override, uh, we call them internally uh, the Electrum Group. And the Electrum Group is the developers of the capabilities. And that's some of the stuff we're going to be talking about Black Hat this week. They're the developers of the capabilities for multiple operations groups, one of them being the Sandworm team, which did the attacks in 2015 and 16. And the reason that's important is, is defenders need to understand the nuance, that they're not just facing against malware. They're looking at teams that have their own support teams, their own development teams, their own operations teams. You're looking at funded, focused human adversaries. And for that reason, you need to be able to take a flexible, empowered human defender approach to actually counter them. Can you speak or do you have an inkling as to why these attacks are being launched? It doesn't seem to be hacktivists, for example, or teenagers, bored teenagers, especially given the financing and the resources that you've talked about. Is this a test bed, potentially, if one country was to invade another in order to try to crash their power grids? Could it be psychological operations? 
against another country. Do you have any sense of what might be happening here? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, understanding adversary intent is one of the most difficult challenges in intelligence work. It's uh, useful to be able to identify what we perceive to be their intent or the reality that, that is caused by their actions. But actually understanding, did someone authorize this for any specific reason, is uh, a challenge for any intelligence community. However, we can talk about what we perceive and what we see and what it might mean to us. And I think there's a very strong statement to be made that regardless of the adversary's intention in Ukraine, which it does appear to be just geopolitically conflict-focused because of the tension between Russia and Ukraine, that is it, what it means for us in the United States, others in Europe, uh, what it specifically means is regardless of the intent of the adversary, we are looking at what it might look like during a conflict scenario. We're also looking at tradecraft that's being exhibited that's now public. So I don't expect to see crash override show up in the North American power grid. I don't expect to see crash override take down London. What I, what I expect to see, though, is the tradecraft exhibited about how it works and how it happens to be used again by other adversaries. So I fully expect to see the trade crash override tradecraft um, exhibited in future conflict. And, and that's what we need to be learning from. That's what we need to be focused on. We also need to look at the international relations aspect of this and the cyber norms that are being set. I mean, we no, no country has actually had an official response, even just condemnation around the 2015 or 2016 attacks. And, and these are very clearly crossing a red line, targeting civilian infrastructure. And I think, you know, when I talk to a number of political members and policymakers, uh, it, there's almost a feel of, yeah, well, Ukraine's on the other side of the internet. And that's just not how it works. And we really need to take a better approach because uh, this is something that will impact us all. Can I also ask, one of the things I think we saw in 2016 was attackers gaining access to the power grid networks in Ukraine and sitting there for maybe six months as a result of spear phishing attacks. That certainly is another cause for concern, especially when it comes to power providers. Yeah, absolutely. So generally speaking, a lot of folks tend to think of cyber attacks as, you know, very quick events. And they see things in, you know, pen tests and movies and else place where, you know, oh, I compromised your entire network in a day. And and not to say that that can't happen, but when you're looking at actually orchestrating an attack, you're looking at longer term operations, you're looking at the human aspect of it, you're thinking of a team that has financial, healthcare, you know, HR people work in the background, adversaries have management and PowerPoint too. Um, but when you look at what happened to Ukraine, they compromised the business networks through the spear phishing um, campaign pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, a couple of days, they were sort of done with their operations there. But when they moved to the industrial side of the house, they were there for almost six months before they actually were able to complete and launch their attack. And we can't know for sure if they were positioned beforehand, but from the forensics and the, the work that I did during the investigation, um, it, was, it was pretty clear to me that they weren't ready to go sooner, that this was taking them that long to actually learn the nuances of industrial electric equipment. And that's one of the benefits we have in, in the industrial space. Our environments are weird, and it takes adversaries a while to sort of learn them. Now, we've got to actually be monitoring for that to be relevant. We've got to actually do something about it. But it gives us a, a sort of an upper hand to start with that if defenders take advantage of, they fully will be in a position to protect infrastructure. You mentioned how we're probably going to see these attack techniques and the thinking underlying the platform used to attack power grid networks in future attacks. Is that analogous to what we saw with the Eternal Blue exploit, for example, leaking and then getting built into things like WannaCry and not Petya? 
Yeah, absolutely. Once somebody develops a capability, you know, not all capabilities are instantly repurposable, but specific vulnerabilities or specific tradecraft, you know, those are things that folks can repurpose. And obviously that's concerning because then you lose control. Robert, thanks so much for your insights. Great to have you. Fantastic, man. I've been discussing industrial control system malware with Robert M. Lee of Dragos. I'm Matthew Schwartz with Information Security Media Group. Thank you very much for joining us.